going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today, my favorite, it's a Q&A. Today, we're going to cover a lot of great questions. We're going to talk about genetics and what role they have in body composition. We're going to talk about dieting to improve hormonal issues and finally lose fat. We're going to talk about waist trainers and how much I hate them. We're going to talk about nutritional genomes. We're going to talk about the best advice for nutrition when you have an autoimmune disease. Endurance versus body composition and can you combine those goals together are they compatible whey protein versus collagen versus pea all kinds of protein we're going to talk about literally everything today it's going to be a really good q a a lot of great info but before we get to that i do want to give a quick announcement on my latest program people are crushing and loving functional muscle. I had a lot of good feedback. I had a lot of people opt in and get it this week, um, especially Monday, Tuesday when it was on sale. It is still live. It's going to stay live and you can get it forever. It's just no longer on sale. So the link will be in the show notes. You can get it again forever on my site or in this podcast description. So I'm going to keep it there for good because it's an evergreen program where you can get it Start training today whenever you want. Um, There's a lot of good feedback going on in the group. It's the only way into the private Facebook forum now. And it's been really, really cool to just see the community of people uh, following the program together. Like that's one of the most exciting things for me is there's a bunch of people running this exact same program and they're all around the country and the world really because there's people that listen to this podcast out of the United States. So it's it's just – it's humbling and it's just so – it's such an honor to know that these people – are going to the gym and running my training program and then jumping into the Facebook group and talking about it. Like that literally makes me feel so good. It makes me so proud. It makes me so happy. I'm just, I'm super grateful. And then I get messages. Like if you're running this training program, please take videos, post it on Instagram, post it on your story, post it on Facebook, tag me in whatever platform you're on. I want to see you running the program. I want to see the exercise you're doing. I want to hear feedback. That's the most fun part about it is like just spreading this information and spreading this training and spreading the results. So once again, if you're running the program, please post about it, share it, tag me in it, talk about it in the group. And if you're not on the program, you can get on it today. There's a link in the description. Now, without any further ado, wait, I do have one more, one more thing to cover. There is a further ado. I wanted to bring up the Fat Grips competition. So as I spoke about on one of the previous podcasts, we're doing a Fat Grips competition. So if you leave me a five-star rating and review, we're going to look at the best five-star rating review. I'm going to pick one, and Fat Grips is going to donate a pair of Fat Grips to you. They're going to ship it right to your house. If you don't know what Fat Grips are, Fat grips are these rubber, rubber handles that you can put on damn near anything in the gym, uh, TRX handles, kettlebells, dumbbells, barbells, whatever, and it instantly creates, one, it's going to improve your grip strength, but two, it instantly creates tension, and a lot of people struggle creating tension, and one thing I always say is like, let's build the muscle, not the joint, and we want to build the muscle, save the joint. We want to create tension in our muscles so we can move our body through full range of motion without putting tension or pressure on our joints, and there's a lot of people that suffer from joint Pain. And this is one reason why I love fat grips. One, it does help your grip strength, which is going to be good. Two, it's going to help you create total body tension. So no matter what you're doing, what exercise you're doing, lower body, upper body, it's going to help your form because you're creating tension throughout the ranges of motion. And last but definitely not least, this is probably my number one reason, it's a crazy pump. You put those on and do some curls or close grip bench or, or tricep extension, anything, dude, you're going to get a massive pump in your arms. That's probably my favorite reason to wear it. Oh, and oh, I, there's another one. Farmer's walks. Add those fuckers to farmer's walks. 
game changer. So anyway, if you want a pair of fat grips, leave me a five-star rating review. We're going to ship them out to you directly to your house for the best five-star rating and review. Let's make a competition out of this, guys. I said this on the last podcast, but it was at the end of the show. And I realized that it takes iTunes like a full week to actually upload the reviews because they – I don't know if they review your review before they post or whatever. I, don't, I have no idea. But – If you guys leave me a great five-star rating and review, I'm going to read them. I'm going to pick a winner. I'm going to shout them out on the podcast, and then we're going to send some fat grips directly to your mailbox. Crazy. But go do that. Pause the podcast. Go do that. Now, without any further ado for the second time, let's get on to the Q&A. All right, let's get right into it. First question comes from Alex Stout. How much do genetics play a part in body composition? For example, like people who are naturally thick or very naturally very thin, what's the differing process of adding muscle slash burning fat for those people? Um, unfortunately, like, I mean, the truth is like genetics just, they play a massive role in everything. They play a massive role in, I mean, it really comes down to, a couple different things. One, we're going to talk about like genetics can be modified. This is like the whole genome thing, right? Like um, environmental things cause your genetics to happen. So some people will even argue like genetics aren't the the sole reason why you're this way. Like if you are – if your parents are overweight and have diabetes, yes, there is a higher likelihood of you having those because of your genes. But if your environmental factors are all supporting them continuing to be obese and have diabetes, then you are more likely to as well because your environment is the same as theirs. So that's a big thing to consider. Like what is your environment doing? Because your environment can actually shift your genes. That has been studied and that has been proven. So that's one thing. The next thing is like, yes, people are going to have genetic uh, differences from limb length to muscle belly length to metabolic capacity to um testosterone levels because even that like you can take a testosterone test and for me high could be 700 but for you 500 could be high so that's a genetic thing that could be causing differences um there's a lot that goes into it so i I would just say that like the biggest thing like we got to remember is that certain people are just genetically gifted with more muscle dominance bigger muscles more active muscles they're, they have more type 1 or type 2 muscle fibers. Like all these things are really hard to change. So there's a lot of people who were born to be a bodybuilder. There's a lot of people who are born to be an athlete. And there's a lot of guys like I was just having a conversation with someone, a new client who wants to get pretty damn lean. And we were talking about genetics on the phone for our consultation call. And it was like, you know, like I I mean, shit, me and Theo were a great example of that. My, my The previous co-host with me and one of my best friends, that dude could stop training for two months and I could train my ass off and he would still probably be buffer than me because <laughs> like at the end of the day, his genetics are just crazy, right? He's naturally really big. He's got a naturally big back. He's got natural big delts. So he his figure looks really big. Even if me and him were the same – like had the same strength and power output, he could still be bigger just because that's what his genetic potential is. That's what his genes provide him with. Um, for the record, I do think he is a little bit stronger than me too. I'm not going to lie. But – um, I think it really comes down to genetics, unfortunately. Like it, it plays a massive role in body composition. Um, as far as like getting lean, um, it's hard to say. I think that certain – I think everybody has the potential to get just as lean as each other. But if you've altered your genes from uh, environmental factors as you age, that can cause certain things. So for example – 
let's say I have a person who is 30 years old and they are overweight and I have another 30 year old who is overweight. They're both 30 years old. They're both males. They both work at the same job and they both have 30 pounds to lose. We're going to keep it with the 30s. But subject number one lived a life from ages being born. So let's say age five when he was a little, little kid, little toddler until age 18 in his household slightly overweight as well. He ate junk food growing up. He wasn't a very active individual playing sports. So he was naturally overweight throughout his childhood as well. That is going to cause an effect on his gut. That's going to cause a differing effect on his environment. That's going to cause his insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance to be happening. It's going to possibly make him pre-diabetic. He's probably going to have more inflammation in his joints. Subject B Grew up very lean, grew up an athlete, grew up in a household that ate really clean, but he went to college, graduated, and then gained weight when he came into the workforce. So he's been overweight for a lot less time, but his genetics as a, as a child were better, not because of his parents, but because of the environmental factors of him growing up. So I don't know if that makes sense to some of you out there, but the key with that is is subject A has the same potential to get just as lean as subject B, but subject A is probably going to get there a, a little bit quicker or slower because of their childhood, their genetics, their genome that has been developed over time from environmental factors, stress, poor diet, so on and so forth. So I think that the differing process is just – few things here. Environment, um, speed of what it's going to happen um, due to lifestyle. Then also we got to look at ancestry, right? Like there's a lot of studies coming out that show like if my ancestry is mainly in Ireland, Scotland, that area, I'm going to have a different diet than somebody's ancestry that is in Asia or in Africa because of the food that my ancestors grew up eating. It changed their gut microbiome. They had different um, antibodies. They had different enzymes in their body that broke down different types of foods better because their body had to adapt. I mean the body is a very adaptive thing and it's the same thing with this whole carnivore diet. This guy hasn't ate fruit or vegetables in 14 months. He just eats beef and like a little bit of eggs I think. It's fucking crazy but he feels great. So we have to look at one one couple things. First, if he's sleeping well, his libido is better, his metabolism is better, he's lean, he feels good, he's performing well, he's still having bowel movements – Nobody can talk shit to him because he feels good. And those are markers that tell him that he's healthy. Like I don't care about LDL cholesterol. If you're having all that success across the board, you're healthy and that diet's working for you. Um, but I can guarantee when he first did that, he probably didn't feel 100% great. Right? It's the same thing with keto. You go into keto, yeah, you can make keto work, but at first it's going to feel like shit. So it takes time to adapt. So getting back to the genetic thing, I think certain people are going to take longer to adapt and they will adapt better according to what nutrition plan they're going with. So we can look at food groups based on our ancestry. We can look at macronutrient ratios based on our genetics, our athletic performance, our history of training, our ancestry, all these different things. So somebody like those two people, for example, they might have two completely different ancestries. One guy's eating a high carb diet the other guy's eating a high carb diet and not having any success right so one guy is having success one guy's not and the reason being is because of all these things i'm i'm factoring in so they might both be able to actually speed up fat loss and see fat loss happen the same length of time very productively on a completely different diet but if they did the same diet they might not have that same result because of environmental factors because of ancestry because of how they treated their bodies growing up so on and so forth so there's a lot that goes into it i think at the end of the day um, with fat loss, I think genetics play less of a role. With muscle building, they play a massive role. Uh, there's people who are just – like we can't deny it. There's people who are just going to naturally build muscle better. 
They're jacked. They're born to be athletes, and that's what it is. They are going to look leaner, easier because they have more muscle mass, not because they can burn fat better in most cases. To add to that, I think there is even – there is some, but it's a smaller percentage of people who will burn fat maybe a little bit quicker because their hormones just process at a higher level. But again, I think that has a lot to do with – History, right? So again, me and Theo, for an example, he can get leaner, quicker, faster, easier than I can on probably more calories. But I know he was really skinny and lean growing up. I know that I wasn't. I was always a heavier kid. And I know there was a period in my life where I ate a lot of shitty food and I actually got kind of overweight. Um, And then after high school, it got worse. And then I finally made a big shift. But that period of time, me just eating poorly, probably not having the best gut health, not being as active as Theo was, not eating as natural as Theo was, those things played a bigger role in my potential to get very lean like he is versus my genetics. So I hope that makes sense. Um, I would say as far as how much genetics play in a body in play a part in body composition back to the very first question i think that when you say people who are naturally thick versus naturally thin there is going to be those uh, i think it's called some types where there's like mesomorph endomorph so on and so forth i don't believe in those 100 but i do believe there's certain body types and certain limb lengths and things that are gonna make you appear a certain way and those things are just stuck with us those are genetics and certain people again just they build muscle faster i hate them for it but it's true all right Next question, we got Lauren McKenzie. Lauren McKenzie asked a very huge question, so shout out to Lauren, um, who actually just purchased Functional Muscle, so she just jumped in the group. She's already asking questions, giving good feedback. Love you for that. If you guys want to check out the new program, links in the uh, description, shameless plug. Back to the questions. So she said, no specific question, but general stuff I love learning about is nutrition for those with hormone issues, specifically low estrogen. Should those women be in a deficit? Basically, how to diet with hormone issues or how not to. Low carb and higher fat, better for those issues. Also love hearing about programming and how to for those starting out in the industry. Okay, so I'll save the programming question. But basically, like when we look at hormonal issues, we really have to – I mean first and foremost, go listen to the episode I did with Travis Zipper. I don't remember what episode it was, but go check that out because we t- went in depth. But there's certain hormonal issues that we have to consider that completely change the game, right? I know, for, for example – if typically if somebody has a low thyroid, I'm going to look at quality of fats and hopefully bring in their carbohydrates up because I know that they are, their thyroid will probably function better with a little bit more carbohydrates. It's also going to help their adrenal fatigue. It's also going to help their metabolism speed up, which are both going to contribute to a better thyroid. And then it's kind of like this, this positive cycle of improving all these different hormones, especially because the thyroid is linked to almost every cell in the body. So in that case, my my main goal is going to be macro specific. I'm a little bit of food quality. Like I am going to be talking about, hey, like we really want to focus on quality of fats specifically because fats do play a big role in hormones, specifically the type of fats you're getting. Um, but for thyroid, I'm definitely looking right at carbs immediately, especially if they're training hard. Um, if we look at PCOS, we're looking completely at food quality, right? If we're looking at something that's related to anything autoimmune that's hampering your – if you have an autoimmune issue that's bringing down your hormones, then we're definitely looking at food quality, right? Those two things specifically are going to be like, hey, what type of foods are you eating? Can we take out processed sugar? Can we take out artificial sweeteners, things like that? That will improve PCOS uh, versus macros specifically. Macros play a role, uh, but – you know. It, it kind of depends. Um, going off the low carb, high fat, PCOS, I do believe sometimes it works better with a little bit low carb, high fat until you bring insulin sensitivity up. So typically they can have some insulin resistant issues with that um, in most cases. And a lot of times, honestly, some doctors will say you have PCOS, but really it's completely 
it's something unrelated. It's just sharing symptoms, right? Um, and if we can reverse this insulin issue, we can reverse these symptoms that are coming from quote unquote PCOS, we can actually improve what's going on with you. It could help to do a low carb diet. Um, and I'm not saying low carb diet equals fat loss, but bringing carbs down um, can help you improve insulin sensitivity temporarily. And then once you improve that insulin sensitivity, you can start adding carbs back in so that you can handle those carbs better. Um, that being said, low carb, high fat might work, but also we got to remember too, like fat loss in general might be the reason for any hormonal issues. Like when we have excess body fat stored on our body to a point where it's unhealthy, we can have a cascade of hormonal issues going on, whether that is low estrogen or PCOS or thyroid issues, metabolism issues, testosterone issues for men, different things like that. It causes uh, more chronically elevated cortisol levels. It causes a drop in specific hormones that need to be higher. It causes excess body fat to be stored around the torso, around the low stomach area, um, spare tire looking. So I think it really depends. Um, should those women be in a deficit? I would say no. It's it's a hard thing to say because I just told you guys that you need to lose fat to improve those hormones, but you shouldn't be in a deficit. That's where it kind of – it's a double-edged sword, right? So in some cases, we might want to create a deficit to burn fat because that's priority number one. But if you're already in – like a lot of these people experiencing low estrogen, PCOS, thyroid issues, slow metabolism, uh, for guys, drops in testosterone, growth hormone, all these different things, a lot of times those are coming up because people are under eating. So they've been in a deficit for far too long. So I get a lot of clients that come to me that they are, they've tried everything. They've dieted, they've dieted, they've dieted, they've trained, they've done cardio, or they've lost a bunch of weight and then they gained it back and they don't understand why. And when we review and assess their nutrition over the last one to two weeks, we notice that they're under eating quite a bit. Um, so what I like to see women who are in a deficit do, um, who are in a chronic deficit that are experiencing uh, issues with hormones is to stop the fat loss goal. I have multiple handfuls of clients in this situation right now and it can be scary. And, and honestly, like it's, it's tough as a coach because I get it and it's hard to experience gaining a little fat, gaining a little weight, adding calories to your diet to know that the end of the day – down the road, you're gonna you're gonna see improvements. You're gonna see less fat. You're gonna have a higher metabolism. You're gonna feel better, sleep better, train better. The way I like to look at it for anybody listening who's business minded is it's back end income. So this podcast right now, I'm just gonna be 100% transparent with you guys. This podcast right now, you're listening to it for free. I am taking time out of my day to record, edit, post, publish post on social media to get people to go over and listen to it. That's all for free. So people will be like, man, you're doing a lot of content. You're doing a lot of podcasts. You're doing a lot of shit for free. Like why? It's back-end income. But I can't leave out that I love this shit. I love giving info. One of my, my biggest passions is creating content. So I get enjoyment out of this. But I do know that it still supports my business because somebody will listen to this podcast for three, four months, and then someday they will probably hire me because they're going to be in a position where they need expert advice on their nutrition. They might need a specific training program to run. So I understand that this will pay off, whether it does today or tomorrow or in six months, I know it'll pay off. That's back-end money. It's the same thing with reverse dieting. These, these women or men who are in a deficit for too long and they want to lose fat so bad, but they're in a hormonally shitty place. So we need to think about back-end fat loss, right? We want to think about in six months, I'm going to lose fat. So right now, I'm going to improve my hormones. And I say it all the time and I steal it from Jason Phillips. The physical follows the physiological, 
And the reason that's so important is because if you change your hormones, your body composition will change. Your performance will change. Your sleep will change. Everything you see in the mirror, everything you see on the bar when you're training, that will change. But you have to change your hormones first. So for anybody out there who can relate to her question, if you're in a deficit and you've been in a deficit for too long – you should probably plan on reverse dieting out of that very slowly. Um, I would always uh, focus on getting a coach first because at the end of the day, like it's super important to think about going the slow route, having accountability, having uh, measurable adjustments that are guided and supported like the right way. You can't just add calories and expect to not gain weight. And you want to do it slow too because if we're planning on adding a little bit of weight to improve the hormones, we don't want to add 10 plus pounds like – Five pounds is acceptable, and even though that seems like a lot to some people, that might be what you need in order to get to the to the lower body fat level that you want to be for the rest of your life. So that was a long, long-winded question, but in general, I think the most important thing to remember with hormones is that you should be tracking your biofeedback, whether you have a coach or not. Like Track your sleep, track your uh, nutrition, track your stress, track your mood, track your cravings, track your hunger, track your performance. Is it increasing or decreasing? Track your recovery. Are you fatigued? Or do you feel great? So on and so forth because those are all signals to let you know that your hormones are in a good place or not. If you're dieting and you're in a deficit and you start to notice those those rankings and those readings, those biofeedback markers start declining as you diet – you're getting closer and closer to the end of that diet. And even if you're not at your goal, you need to stop, bring your calories up, stay at maintenance for a little while until you get healthy, until those biofeedback markers improve significantly to where you feel great. Then you can go back into a diet phase to cut more fat. And you can keep playing that periodization game, that yo-yo game back and forth to get there. And I hate using the word yo-yo because yo-yo diets are horrible, but this is the healthiest way to undulate your your fat loss over the course of a year to get you to a place where you can sustain a lean body. I could go on and on about that because I'm really passionate about it because I have a lot of clients. I have a lot of clients that are listening to this right now that are going through that. Um, I've gone through that plenty of times. I mean, shit, I'm reverse dieting right now and I'm not in such a serious case as most people. But I mean, I running a fitness business, it, it it's more beneficial to stay lean and I stayed lean for too long. I mean I did – it was summer. It was spring. You know, I had photo shoots for Instagram, all these different things. It was just kind of like a, a – it was a, a long period of time where I was like the business is growing. I need to stay lean because I'm a representation but you can only do so for so long. So even me as a coach, I was like, yo, I'm going to hire somebody. Uh, I, I Obviously, my mentor is Jason Phillips so he hooked me up with one of his coaches and I told her like, hey, I'm, I'm not eating enough right now. I know that but I've been maintaining a lean physique. I need you to reverse me. I need you to do it with minimal fat gain, but I get it. If it happens, it happens, but I'm not going to do it myself, period. So she's taking me through that. So I get it completely, Um, and it's tough. She had another question. Also love hearing about programming and how to for those starting out in the industry. So let me take a sip of my coffee. I think that programming is is uh honestly my, my best advice for anybody doing pro i mean like you did a smart thing i don't know if you're a trainer or not lauren but you did a smart thing by buying functional muscle my program because i think the smartest thing people can do is buy programs like i can't tell you how many training programs i've bought in training program ebooks i've bought in from different coaches in the industry and then never even did them i simply bought them to like read their philosophy see how they did stuff um see how they program why they program a certain way consider new things see new exercise selections because it gives you ideas um and then i never do my own programs right like i will i I shouldn't say i never do my own programs for for example functional muscle i i ran that i tested it out i loved it um but 
I don't continually write my own programs. I ran functional muscle because I knew I was going to release a program to the public. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm not supposed to be talking about it, but there is going to be another program in, in the future. It's probably going to be about three months from now, um, completely different, which I'm excited about. And I'm going to run that too. I'm going to test it because I have to, but for the last, I don't know how many years, seven years of training and coaching and stuff, I've, I've always had other coaches write programs for me or I purchase and run other people's programs because it teaches me a lot. Having a coach is one of the most valuable things you can do because you see how other people do things, especially if you want to be a coach. You got to be coachable. Um, So I would highly recommend that. I would also highly recommend reading a lot, right? Read practical programming. Read some of the Supple Leopard. Go on YouTube. uh, Go read tons of articles on Juggernaut Training Systems. Go read articles on Team Nation. Go read articles on my website. Go read as much as you can. I mean, like, uh, elite FTS has that book called the vault. The vault is such a great book. Cause it breaks like, it's a lot of small sections, but they're all sections regarding like specific things. Like how are you going to program a squat? Why are you periodizing this way? What about deadlifts? What about accessory work? What are these things? It breaks down all these different things. So I would always just research and study as much as you can. And then just remember too, like, you you should be focusing on movement patterns versus muscle groups. If you're a trainer and you have a fat loss client and they want to lose weight and, and feel better and you have them on a bro split where they come in and do chest day with you, you're doing them a disservice. You need to revamp, reconsider, and study how you should be programming for a fat loss client. They should probably be doing full body functional movements that help them feel better and work more muscles per per training session, per week, so they are getting more bang for their buck every time they step in the gym with you. Um, or even an upper lower split like functional muscle is. That's a way better solution for fat loss um, and especially for muscle gain. So there's different ways to go about it, but I would always program by movement patterns. So um, if you have upper lower days, you're you're looking at hip hinges and and knee dominant movements so knee dominant movements would be lunges and squats hip dominant movements would be hip thrusts single leg rdls deadlifts things like that we want to look at doing a specific amount of hip hinge movements and a certain amount of knee dominant movements a certain amount of unilateral work because of that cross body everything right unilateral is super important for balance coordination uh core work um, bringing up imbalances and, and stuff like that. So there's a lot that goes into that. We should be rowing twice as much. We should be pressing, but I'm not looking at doing a certain amount of lat work. I'm looking at rowing, right? Pulling in that direction. I'm looking at pressing. We should be doing two times more horizontal pressing and pulling than we should be vertical pressing and pulling. So there's, if you look at things from a movement standpoint, I think you're going to be much better off. You're going to have clients that are getting better results and you're going to have clients that feel better in the gym, joints feel better, and they're not getting injured as often. So last little note on that is think about knee dominant, think about hip hinge. So if you did a full body program, it should have a hip hinge, a knee dominant, a row, a push so pulling a push and then something for your core if you want to expand on that more you could add a carry and a unilateral movement so what that looks like is simple maybe i start with a hip thrust and a face pull so that's one row one hip hinge then i do a squat and a in a horizontal press like a dumbbell floor press a single arm bench press barbell bench press something like that now i got my knee dominant and i got my press then i'm going to do a um, unilateral. So maybe we're doing a, a step up. So another knee dominant, but still hip dominant, depending on the size of the box and a hor- another horizontal row, because I want to do two times as much rowing as pulling. So maybe I'm doing a step up and a barbell bent row or a one arm row or an in- inverted row. And then maybe I finish with some core work. So some like plank holds or reverse crunches, dead bugs, things like that. And a farmer's carry. 
That is a full body program that hits every single muscle in your body and promotes good health. Franco Guzman, one of my favorites. Can you believe waist trainers are still a thing? No, I cannot. Fuck. They're horrible. I don't get it, dude. I, I literally do not get it. And you know what's funny is like I was I was looking at – I actually put it on my story. And I, I wonder if you saw it because sometimes you reply to some of my stories. I put it on Instagram. It was like the – no, maybe that wasn't a waist trainer. It was the ab belt. That's what I put on there. I can't believe the fucking ab belts are still a thing. It, it like shocks your abs till they're buff. That I saw that as a legit story ad on Instagram and it pissed me off because they were targeting me somehow. Why did that pop up on my freaking Instagram? But I can't believe it, man. I think at the end of the day, people need to stop with the gimmicks. I was doing some stories on my Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, go follow me, Cody.BoomBoom. Put a lot of funny shit on my story. Um, actually, yeah, we're going to talk about funny story shit. So the other day, yesterday, we were at Apple. Uh, I took Shannon to Apple to buy her a new iPhone because she's on maternity leave, so she's getting rid of her work phone. And her phone is an iPhone 4, and I didn't even know they still – well, they don't make those anymore. Um, but it barely works. So we bought her a new iPhone and I'm sitting in there and I'm just looking around because I get bored quick. So I'm like gazing and, and people watching and there's like smart jump ropes now that like track your calories and tell you how you're doing along the way. And there's like the – I saw the, the Apple Pen, which is like a pen that you can get a special case for and it writes on your iPad. And there's like all this – it's just so much crazy shit and like these different watches and heart rate bands and jump ropes and – Yada yada. It's like, dude, just eat real food and move. It's just, it's just crazy. And like, again, I see these things on my stories. Whether it's uh, the new like Fitbit style watch and stuff. Like Fitbits are great because it tracks steps. But if you can just move, stop stressing, and eat real food, like you're gonna be way better off. And then speaking of stories, I I, I ran into my grandma the other day at Starbucks and. It's funny because you run into your grandma at Starbucks and she was like, oh, I just left church and you want some extra food? And she gave me like brownies and meatloaf because apparently that's what she brought for church, which is it's a weird combination, brownies and meatloaf. But grandma's shit is fire. So I took it. But um, oh, I was like, where the fuck is I going with that? See, I, I even lose my own concentration on this damn podcast. But so I tried to put it on my story and I typed in grandma. Like when you ran into grandma at Starbucks, she gives you me loaf and brownies. And as I typed in grandma, the first hashtag was grandma's butthole. And I'm just like, what is wrong with people these days? Who's hashtagging that? I feel bad even saying it again. I can't even say it again. Like who Like who does that? If you're somebody that listens to this podcast and you've ever hashtag grandma's butthole, shame on you, man horrible so no franco i can't believe waist trainers are still a thing hey guys sorry for the brief interruption but i do want to take a moment to mention my sponsor health iq you can go apply for a free quote today to see what exclusive rate you could get for being a healthy individual at healthiq.com slash boom boom or you can talk to an agent directly if you want more information and you can use the promo code boom boom to get that exclusive rate Health IQ is the fastest growing life insurance agency in the entire country. And the reason for that is simple. They are extremely smart and they're doing something extremely beneficial for anybody who is physically active and health conscious. And I know that 99% of the people listening to this, probably even 100%, fall into both of those categories. 56% of the customers who do use Health IQ save between 4 and 33% on life insurance, which basically means we're almost guaranteed to have more money in our pocket because we are investing our hard-earned time and money being physically fit or just generally healthy. 
And that's exactly what they recognize and that's why they reward us with that. They also recognize that people who work out have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to anybody who is not physically active. So again, we are training hard, we're investing our hard-earned money, we're investing our time, and we are trying actively to be physically fit, and we deserve to be rewarded for that. Well, unlike other life insurance agencies, Health IQ makes sure that you are being rewarded for that by finding you the best policy rate. In fact, Health IQ goes the extra mile and they actually look up studies. They go deep into the science and they take real data that proves that we are going to live longer and we are going to live a better life because we are physically fit. And they use this science and data to prove that and get us an exclusive rate. So again, I'm super pumped to have Health IQ on the show sponsoring us because they're doing something life-changing. They're saving us a ton of money and they're just being generally a good business good people filled in that business too and like just talking to them on the phone it was nice to hear how they go about business so i'm super pumped to be partnering with them and getting you guys an exclusive rate for being a listener and going out of your way to be healthier you can go to healthiq.com slash boom boom and get a free quote today which i highly suggest and if you want a chance to save and get an exclusive rate talk to an agent on the phone and mention the promo code boom boom all right guys let's get back to the show Ashley Fossum, what's your opinion on nutrition genome? So for those of you who don't know, I believe, I'm not super familiar with this exact one. I think it's actually like a branded thing. Nutrition genome is like a thing where you send, um, I want to say like, actually I might look it up right now. I think you send, uh, oh, I turned my Wi-Fi off because I'm recording. Um, I want to say you, you send fecal matter, like so you actually send your poop and they do genetic testing on it. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but they do that as well. So you can send in your bowel movement and they will test it and see what kind of uh, gut microbiome and and what your genome is like and what foods agree with you, what foods you're sensitive to, what foods you have allergies to, what your, I mean, I I believe it'll even tell you some of the stuff I was talking about earlier as far as genetics and ancestral, like basically gives you a formula of like, what kind of diet's going to fit you best? You know, like, are you a high carb, low fat? Uh, are you a high fat, low carb? Are you, do you do better with sweet potatoes or do you do better with rice? Can you eat eggs and gluten and all these different things? So it's kind of like a food sensitivity test, but I do believe it goes a little bit deeper. I think it's cool. I think that, I think that science is bringing nutrition to a new level. And I actually posted on Facebook the other day about this is like, this is why I love nutrition, man. Like we're helping people reverse autoimmune issues that control their life. Like that is insane. So like people are re- reversing things that are like debilitating them through nutrition and it's fueling performance. It's changing body composition and science is just coming out more and more and like the craziest shit. Like I'm still like just flabbergasted, which is I, <laughs> I haven't said the word flabbergasted in a long time, but that's like abnormally amazed at this dude, the carnivore diet guy. He's ate meat for 14 months. Like that's nuts. But it's just crazy where science has taken us. It's crazy where nutrition has taken us. And I, that's kind of how I feel about the nutrition genome. I think it's awesome. I think that it's really cool that we can take it that far. I think that – I do think it's a little hyped up. I think that people don't need to worry about it so much. See, I'm a big fan of, of, of simplicity. I have a person who is – and I believe she listens to the podcast. So shout out to you because you've been inspiring the hell out of me lately. Um, she's dropped 30 pounds in – 
I want to say it's been like nine or ten weeks. It hasn't been that long since we really started dialing this stuff in. Maybe a little bit longer, but in a in a very rapid amount of time. She's completely off all of her pain medication and stuff for arthritis. She's had a significant difference in these different um, allergies she has going on, and like it's all due to nutrition. We we cut things out and we added things back in. So instead of going the route of like a nutritional genome, I think that it's it's a lot more easy and just simple and less stressful. Um, to just eliminate a lot of shit. Go paleo for 21 to 30 days and then slowly add things back in. For her, it was like, yo, what do you miss the most that's going to not affect too much? And she was like, butter. I was like, cool, let's add butter back in. Butter and ghee. And we added that back in. She loved it. No issues. Next thing is eggs. We're going to add eggs back in. And then we see how she is. She was fine with that. So this week, I'm going to ask her like, yo, what do you feel good adding in? And then we go with the next thing, right? So you just add one thing back in at a time and you notice what works, what doesn't. And that'll tell you what you're sensitive to. That'll tell you what you have allergies to plain and simple um it's still like and and you know what like one thing to remember too is that sometimes just that removal process will actually improve the way your body functions digests and and absorbs these things like your body builds enzymes and and antibodies to certain foods that it doesn't like and it will create these autoimmune issues or reactions um so for but when you eliminate those, you can actually help reduce or remove those antibodies that are uh, are being affected or that are coming up and trying to defend, and you can actually tolerate that food now. So for example, I've always had eczema, and I never knew why, and I cut out eggs because I wanted to eliminate certain things and see what it was. I cut out a bunch of stuff, and it, it turned out it was eggs, so I eliminated eggs for a long time. I mean like six, eight months. One day, I think Shannon was cooking like a hash or something. I really wanted a runny egg on it. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and eat it and I'm going to get eczema from it and I don't care because a little rash is worth some fire breakfast from my fiance. And she cooked it and I was fine. So a couple days later, I had another egg. Totally fine. The next week, I decided to add eggs every other day. The next week, I added two eggs every other day. And then now I'm having an egg a day, eh, I would say like four days a week, just r- randomly. Sometimes it's two eggs, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's none. And I don't have any issues because I believe that I, 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 my body created these antibodies. I got allergic to it. I have eczema, so it broke out from that. I removed it, brought it back in when it was ready, and now I'm fine. So sometimes that's the case as well. Sometimes you'll never be able to add it in. Uh, but all that that I'm talking about right now just stems from the fact that you might not need to go through this crazy process of shitting in an envelope <laughs> and sending it in to get it tested. But – if you have Crohn's disease, if you have celiac, if you have something very, very serious and you can't afford to play with these like guessing games with nutrition for the next couple months, then yeah, do it. Absolutely. I think it's great. I would just suggest doing your research because there's a couple brands out there that do it and only some of them are really, really legit. And they're the ones that are legit are really expensive, but they're legit and you can find out a lot about your genetics, about your uh, – your uh, bacteria in your gut, what is, what's acceptable, what's not. You can probably dial in your nutrition a lot better. Sarah King, best nutrition advice for clients with Lyme's disease or autoimmune disease, please. So um, I'm just going to like – I think in both cases and now I'm not a medical professional. So it's hard to speak on Lyme's disease, especially because Lyme disease is something that's transferred by a tick bite. So technically a tick bites you and you get this this Lyme disease. Um, and some people will argue because some people have chronic Lyme disease and it's like, well, why is this one unlucky person keep getting bit by a tick with that So I believe that some of it does stem from environmental factors, um, from the fact that like you might have some gut issues, you might have some very, very poor immune system issues uh, and autoimmune issues where 
your defense system is just horrible and it can't defend off certain things and that's why you have these chronic Lyme disease. Some people will even uh, argue and I don't know how, how, how much I agree with this because I haven't done enough research but some people will even argue that Lyme disease isn't even a thing. They will talk about it's, it's actually something else that they're calling Lyme disease um, and I'm not 100% of what that is or how that, what that argument placement is but I did hear people talking about that. Um, and, and I do think that I think all autoimmune issues come down to ingredient versus quantity. So quality versus quantity. I can't put you on a great macro ratio split and reverse your autoimmune issues. I can put you on a great macro split and improve your performance and drop body fat. And those two things could improve autoimmune issues slightly, but they're not going to remove it. Whereas I've had clients with autoimmune issues Technically, I have an autoimmune issue with eczema. It's just a very, very subtle. It's not serious compared to some other ones. Uh, but I've had autoimmune issue clients, and there's been, I mean, there's tons of studies on this stuff that are completely removed, like go into complete remission from food quality. So just going paleo. This is why paleo was such a fantastic diet, right? Because, I mean, it works for autoimmune stuff, but it's it's not a performance model. It's not a performance nutrition diet, but it is a great model for autoimmune issues. So I think it depends. I think if anybody has autoimmune issues or anything similar to autoimmune issues, so for example, Lyme disease where it could be a possibility that you're getting chronic Lyme disease because your immune system and autoimmune issues are just in a very poor place, they're not strong, your defense systems aren't very good, then you might need to go the paleo route, the elimination route, just like I was talking about with the nutrition genome question, and just improve that autoimmune issue in the first place. A lot of people have arthritis because of their gut microbiome and autoimmune issues, and you can fix that with proper nutrition. It's crazy. Even like Asperger's or autism and all these different things, MS, um, I mean, I wouldn't say cancer prevention, but cancer rehabilitation because you like studies are coming out now that you can't go keto and prevent cancer, but you can reverse some cancers with keto because some cancers actually thrive on fats now too, which is crazy. But um, the point is, is I think anything autoimmune related, you need to focus on food quality above all else. Like that client I was talking about, um, we we're not tracking macros. Like it, it just doesn't matter. So you got to think about those things. I think anything autoimmune, you're going to want to go that quality versus quantity route. Maria Alejandra Rondon. Sorry if I spelled that said that wrong. Maybe Rondon. Rondon. That sounds more normal. She says endurance sports like long distance running and triathlon and body composition goals, specifically fat loss. Are they compatible or what I need to choose? I like this. So I like this because this is what attracted me to CrossFit. There's these dudes that are bench pressing 315. Then doing a power clean with fucking God knows how much weight, running a mile and then climbing a fucking massive rope and then let's go swim <laughs> like laps. Like they like they, they do everything, right? I think it's cool because – I mean then this is why like people argue, oh, that's not the fittest man on earth. Well, like name, name another human being that can do that shit and this is why like there's a lot of bad rap on CrossFit but this is why I love it and this is why like CrossFit definitely changed my – opinion on its on the sport itself but also just changed my outlook on fitness today i ran a mile like legitimately i went to the gym i did um i did a grease the groove day so i did a recovery based day which is something i'll be programming out um in the future um you guys will have to stay tuned for that basically working on greasing the groove joint health uh, mobility stretching the muscle bellies like really good movement flow for a good 10 to 15 minutes and then i walked for 10 and then i jogged and just did a mile like I, 
wasn't really a jog. It was more of a run, but I just ran a mile because I want to like know like where is my fitness level at, right? Like if my daughter in the next, you know, in a few years when she's a little girl is going to be Actually, that's that's horrible. I don't even know how old they are when they start riding bikes. But let's say she's riding a bike around the neighborhood, and I got to jog to keep up with her. Like I want to be able to do that. Um, so I do. I I really think I think it's good to have a, a good base and be able to do multiple things. You should be able to run a mile. You should be able to do some pull ups. You should be able to deadlift super heavy without hurting yourself. I think it's important to be strong, be powerful, have endurance level uh have big muscles be lean so i think it's good to i think they can be compatible and i do think that crossfit has proven that i think that it takes longer so the the this is the plain and simple answer if your goal is to lose fat you're going to get there faster if you specifically focus on fat not performance not endurance not strength anything if your goal is power and you want to be strong as fuck and you want to do a powerlifting competition it's going to be best to not really worry about your your mile time or your body composition but if you're an endurance athlete, it's going to be most important to make sure that your your running time is on point and then fat loss can be next, right? So you have to put whatever isn't the main goal on the back burner if you are in a hurry. Now, if you're like – like this is why a lot of people are successful with CrossFit is they're, they're not worried about body composition. They, they want to be fit in all realms. So those guys aren't the best bench pressers. They're not the best Olympic lifters. They're not the best marathon runners. But they are the best at combining all of those things within one modality because someone can smoke them on the run but wouldn't be able to smoke them on the bench press too. Somebody could smoke them on the bench press but they wouldn't be able to beat them on the run. So you got to kind of know what your goal is. Their goal is to be the best jack-of-all-trades, right? So I think that's the important thing to consider. Um, and I think everything goes in phases. Like people should focus on fat loss because if you get lean and you have lower body fat, you're going to be healthier. You're going to have a lot of things that contribute to other goals. So um, there's a lot that goes into that question. I think that um, they can be compatible. Um, if you want to get to a result faster and more efficiently, you need to choose one. Um, and the rest needs to go on the back burner. But if you want to be, if you want to do multiple things and your goal is to be like all around fit or like CrossFit is the fittest man on earth, like then in that case, I think that, that they can be compatible. It just depends on how you do it. And you got to be smart about programming, right? Like there's a lot of people in CrossFit. Like if you look at really good CrossFit programming, it's not just a crazy wad every day. Like wads are meant for classes for the most part. Like wad is a competition. So I believe that a, a good CrossFit program would have a, a specific day focusing on like higher intensity conditioning, so Metcon style. Um, there's going to be an aerobic based day. You should go on a, a run a couple miles every once in a while. There's going to be a very explosive power based day where you're working on your only lifts quite a bit. You know what I mean? So there's going to be different days where you undulate different things rather than just throwing all the shit in the bucket every single day. Marilyn Duche. Marilyn Duche. Hey, <laughs> I said hey, I almost said hey protein. Whey protein versus collagen protein versus pea protein, dot, dot, dot. Without health issues, what's the best and why? So she said without health issues, and I'm going to assume the reason she's saying without health issues is because pea protein is going to be better for somebody who's lactose intolerant. Um, Collagen protein is going to be better than whey protein if you have extreme digestive issues, so on and so forth. 
I believe so, and it really it depends. Like first and foremost, food is going to be the best. Your body is going to assimilate food better. With that being said, I think the closer you can get to its raw form, the better it will be. Therefore, the best protein possible is probably going to be a grass-fed whey. If you get a really good quality grass-fed whey, you're probably going to have a little bit of collagen in it. You're probably going to be able to assimilate and absorb it better because it's grass-fed, because it's probably organic. It's probably been less uh, uh, processed in a factory and so on and so forth. Um, It's going to be the closest to raw form you can get. Um, So I think that's going to be your best bet. It's also whey protein, so it's going to have a better branch chain amino acid profile like pea protein, vegan protein, rice protein, any of those proteins that aren't made from whey. um, They're not going to have the same BCA ratio, right? They're not going to have that leucine kick. They might say they have the right amino acid profile on the label from a grams perspective, but a lot of studies will show that Leucine from dairy products in general is going to be the most anabolic protein you can get. So I think a grass-fed whey would probably be best for muscle building and fat loss. I think collagen is great. Um, And there's collagen whey. Like Vital Proteins has a really good collagen whey protein. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. It's organic. It's whey and it's got added collagen in it. So it's going to even help digestive gut issues. It's going to help joint health, arthritis, things like that. So I I really love whey collagen. Um, And then I would say like pea or hemp. Is probably going to be the best for anybody who has to go vegan, but it's it's suboptimal compared to whey protein. Um, but again, like I don't think there's there's much of a uh, there's not much of a debate because it just really depends. Like protein, it, at the end of the day, like we got to look at this too. Like, are your macros on point? Yes. Okay, you're good. Um, if we're looking at absorption, I would probably say grass fed whey protein. If we're looking at health as far as joint health, digestive health, I would probably say collagen whey or just pure collagen. Like, don't worry about the, how much protein's in it. Don't get a collagen whey. Just get pure collagen. So I think it really depends. Um, I'm a big fan of food. Uh, I believe supplements are there to just supplement. Like, for example, I take a greens drink because it's part of my morning ritual. I take a vitamin D because everybody's low in vitamin D, and that's just a fact. And I take fish oils because fish oils are going to help promote um, the omega-3 balance that I need. Um, I also take – let me actually let me add to this. I take more than I realize. I take vitamin C in the morning while I drink uh, – right before I drink my coffee because my coffee has collagen in it and vitamin C will help your body break down and absorb and utilize collagen. So a little fun fact for you guys. If you're taking collagen, take some vitamin C as well with it. Um, and then I take – I take vitamin C again and magnesium at night because that's going to help promote better recovery, better carb utilization in my body, uh, better sleep levels, so on and so forth. So that's all I take. Um, And I do have whey protein at my house, but I I try to eat real food for every single meal every day. The only time I have a protein shake is if I'm making a big smoothie, if I don't have time to cook. So I'm a big fan of real food above all else. All right, guys, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the show and I hope you guys took a lot away. I do want to give a quick shout out to two different things. First and foremost, it is my program, Functional Muscle, that just dropped on Monday this week. Already people are jumping in the group and saying such amazing things and I would love to have more people participating in this program around the world. So if you want a revolutionary training program that's going to help you build muscle, burn fat, get stronger, and feel better joint by joint, you can get a link to that in the description. The second piece of this, nothing is complete without nutrition. I'm a huge fan of nutrition. That's why the predominance of my business is nutrition coaching. And you guys know this. 
So if you want a combination of a badass training program that's going to build your body and a smart nutrition plan that's going to educate you on how to eat along with that training program, I have another book called The Nutrition Hierarchy, the all-inclusive guide to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you how to diet long-term so it's no longer a diet. It's a nutrition plan. It's a way of eating. You can get that book in the description as well. So that is functional muscle and the nutrition hierarchy that can be combined together to create the ultimate physique and the most badass performance that you can possibly have. All right, guys. Thanks again, and I will catch you next time.